episode 86 of the Cherokee Rewind. Thanks. I am Mick. You know who you are. If not, just check the little hello, my name is tag on your shirt. And if you can't figure it out by that point, eh, go somewhere else. Anyway, hey, I'm hanging out here this week. We've got a guy who played back in the in the late 90s, and he goes by the name of Kyle Jennings. And those of you that are music fans, country music fans, might know who he is as well. Uh, of course, he's got a new CD out called Old Fashioned. And Kyle, first of all, thanks for doing this and welcome. Man, so happy to be here. It's great uh, to see you. Likewise, man. Now, I, I'm trying to remember, did you play, how many, C, did you play one year or two uh, with the Cherokees? I played one. Yeah. Okay. I played Thanks. one year, 90, 96 and 97, I believe. Yep. So, uh, and I always do this with every, every podcast because see, I don't do the thing where, you know, oh, I got to go and surf and research and da, 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 da. I try to do yep. this for all from memory and 9.9 oh, times, 9.9 times out of 10, I get mm. it dead wrong, but I try to remember <laughs> the Jersey you, number you wore when you played. And um, if I'm, I'm trying to think here, was it? Was it 15? No. How far? Nope, guess again. You're um, about six off, if my math is correct. Oh, so you're 21? 21, yep. Okay. Well, okay. I was nowhere near yep. it, but yeah, whatever. You anyway, were close. I was going to say, I'm, I'm used to, I'm used to, like I say, being way off. So it doesn't matter. I'm sitting here thinking when you're, when you said you're going to take a guess, I'm thinking there is not a chance in heck that you're going to pick that number. And, you, I, and I was waiting for you to go 21 and go, no way. <laughs> well, the last several that I've done uh, podcasts I've done, I've gotten the number. So, you know, I've gone back uh, a little wow. shy of you. Uh, I've, I've got a couple lined up here that are going to go beyond when you played. Uh, but uh, still, you know, like I said, it seems like the farther back I go, the better I am with it. But then again, I get I run across guys like you and I completely screw it up. So thanks for ruining my well, man. I, <laughs> yeah, I tell you, just when you were introducing and you're like, you played in the late 90s. I'm just going, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, time flies. Your, flies, your last man. year there, or your only year there, was my first year. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to ask if you were there when I was there. Yeah. And so, what? Now, what do you do there? Or, like, or what I did? What I did? I was the, the the voice for twenty years. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So I did twenty years with the team, and uh, I, it's like I told when I retired a few years a few years ago, I said, "Well, you know, twenty years, I aged out." You know, so yeah, that's, that's how I told them. So, but uh, you know, they've got uh, they they got uh, everybody in place is doing great there now. Everything's in good hands. Um, oh, what a great organization! I is. mean, I I I uh, I went there um, second handedly. I I was I went to the Danville Wings camp. Okay. And that was back when Tom Rudrid was coaching there. And, and uh, we had the Kalamazoo wings where I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan, for anybody who doesn't know. And we had the Kalamazoo wings there, the tier, uh, you know, the tier two team and uh, junior A team. And so, you know, I was looking forward to my high school years of playing, getting to play, you know, or trying to play, you know, tier two hockey in, uh, in at home. And then Danville moved like the year before or Kalamazoo moved to Danville like the year before. So I ended up trying to get information. I went to the Danville camp and um, the first on ice skate, um, I think it was in between the periods, they announced, they, they, one of the assistant coaches said, go over to the glass over there. Everybody go over to the glass and uh, if your number's called. 
Well, they, they called my number and I thought, oh, well, that was short lived. And so I skate over there and it's coach Rudrid. And, um, he says, where are you from? I said, oh, Kalamazoo. And, um, he said, where'd you play last year? And I told him the high school team. And, and uh, he said, man, I, I really love your skating. And I thought, whoa, you know, like I had these big aspirations of playing, you know, junior, junior hockey. And, and, uh, here I was thinking I was going to get cut, you know, like in the first 15 minutes, first period's over. And he's, they're like, number whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay, time to go home. And um, so then after the camp was over, um, you know, he brought me in the, in the room there. And he just said, man, I got an old lineup. Um, you're probably not going to play a lot here, but I've got somebody I want you to talk to. And it was Scott Searing from the Toledo Cherokee. And I was really hesitant. I didn't want to play junior B hockey. I was a junior A hockey player in my mind. You know, I, I had done uh, well for my high school league. And I kind of had it made up in my, my mind that I was I was a junior A hockey player. And I talked to Scott and then uh, talked to my folks, you know, and, and decided that I was going to go play, get the the touches and, and the experience and the time and go play for Toledo. And without question, it was the, it was the best decision I ever made in all of my playing career because of how impactful and how much that coaching staff cared and how hard they worked and how much they, um, they put into, you know, uh, individual player attention. You know, I look back, I became a coach myself, you know, here, a uh, coach for about 10 years in Nashville. And I can't tell you how many times I use that example for kids who want to play tier one, triple A hockey, or they want to go play a particular level and they may get recommended to play a level down for a year to help their development. Uh, and boy, I can attest uh, firsthand at how invaluable that is if you you know embrace it and get the most out of it. You know, and it's funny because back then, as opposed to now, where everybody and their brother has got a team these days in juniors, but back then there were that many junior A programs cr across the nation. Uh, that are yeah, there was eight. There was eight teams in the North American League, mm -hmm. and I ended up playing for Springfield after my year in, in Toledo, and there were only eight teams then. You know, um, I've lost touch with that league, and uh, some of my players have, that I've coached in Nashville have gone on to play now in that North American League. And I'm looking at the 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 team. I'm looking at the team. You know, the league going. There's 28 teams in this league. Well, there's more now. <laughs> I mean, it's like. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm like, you have got it. There's teams in Alaska. There's teams in Texas. There's teams all over the place. Yeah. And what's, but funny, yeah, I mean, what's funny about no, it is, is, uh, of course the central States league is now went on and morphed and became the tier. What well, they changed the designations from junior a and junior B and C to tier one, tier two, tier three. And so yep. the North American league is considered tier two USHL tier one. And then the North American, the CSHL morphed into the uh, NA3HL. And yep. so it's uh, it's the 3HL now, and that's tier three, and if, and supposedly a, 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 a league of preference for the NA. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But the thing yeah. is, is that they also have like a half a million teams. Uh, uh, it's, it, was it was incredible. And, you know, it's probably a testament to the growth of the sport over the last number of, you know, however many years that's been, 20 years. Um, you know, kids are getting more opportunities to play competitive hockey. That's, that's good for the sport. Um, 
you know, and, and, and they're getting to, obviously they're getting to travel and they're, I don't know what the schedule's like, if it's any more or less games, but, um, you know, sports grown a ton. I, I like a lot of it. Um, some of the stuff I could, I could go without, but, um, I think- you know, the, the, the new, the new NHL, the speed, you know, the, the, uh, the exhibition of the speed and the, and the skill. I love that. You well, know, it, it, I think the only thing I, the only thing I, I I'm kind of worried about is yeah, the growth is great. Growing the sport is fantastic. I guess for me, the only thing I'm concerned with is the quality of the product, because again, you were a junior A kid playing junior B. Okay. There were a lot of guys on that team that were junior A caliber guys that played junior B simply because there weren't that many junior A teams to go around. Yeah. I, I mean, that team that I played on, man, you know, not only were, was it a, a team chock full of talent, but the camaraderie was just like, uh, it was, it was very uh, authentic. I mean, I still talk to a lot of guys, you know, from that team, Steve Lutke, uh, him and I are, are very close. We go, we've been out to Montana hunting elk, Mike Kellemeyer. Um, I mean, there's just a bunch of guys that I still talk to, um, you know, from that team, Derek Stum and Scott Bricker and um, Ronnie Burnside oh. and John Avink. Yep. And uh, um, I'm trying JD, you know, JD Ringer yep. and j- just, just a bunch of those guys, but um, it's, it's, it's the best team environment that I've ever been in where the guys truly looked out for each other, cared for each other, loved each other. When I went off to play junior A hockey, you know, I was one of four rookies on a veteran team. Uh, we got put through the gamut in Springfield. Um, didn't care for that environment. It was it was an, it was a very hostile environment for us young kids, and uh, there was not a lot of uh, there was not a, not a lot of team chemistry for as far as from our perspective. Mike Porter, uh, who I played with, him and I spent a lot of time together. And, and man, I remember telling you know my dad that happiness is Springfield in my rearview mirror because it was just such a brutal experience but the Toledo experience was just you know the guys just really you know uh, built a friend lifelong friendship there and and that turned out to be you know that result you know resulted in success on the ice you know we, we won our league that year and then you know lost in the national championship and they went on the next year to win the national championship so um, and a lot of those guys from the national championship team played on the team that I played on, you know, the year prior. Were you ever, did you ever think about maybe coming back? Um, I, you know, I, I don't think I would have been against it. I, I was really driven to move on to the next place, you know, and try to, um, I learned so much in Toledo. I can't emphasize that enough. I, you know, I came from a, um, I would say a very mid-level high school program that was, that was, uh, the organization was minimal, you know, at best, you know, the power play was put the best five skaters out on the ice. And then there was really not a whole lot of organization that, w- that went down after that, other than just try to get the puck in the net, you know? So, you know, offensive defensive systems, you know, new neutral zone uh, transition games, um, you know, uh, you know, complex or, you know, multi-pass breakouts or, uh, you know, stretch passing and stuff like that, that came in Toledo for me. Um, you know, I was a, I was a gifted skater. I grew up, you know, in Southwest Michigan, my folks had a pond where I grew up. So that was my winter recreation. I had all, my, had all my friends over the neighbor who lives next to us worked for the local power company. So he sunk a couple of telephone poles and put some lights up. So every winter, I mean, until three, four in the morning, we were out playing, you know, uh, playing shinny. And, um, as I, 
moved to Nashville and I was coaching kids in Nashville, you know, I realized, and this is just a theory, but I, I think kids in non-traditional markets like Nashville, Arizona, um, I, I certainly think they're at a disadvantage with skating uh, because they don't, they don't have to negotiate all that imperfect ice, you know, on the natural ice that you have to, you know, always counterbalancing and, and making up and adjusting and, and, um, compensating for, you know, uh, all the, the poor ice, the honeycomb, you know, the, the divots everywhere that, you know, that you, sometimes you're falling down just because your skates in a rut you don't ever deal with that with, with, you know, artificial ice. So, um, that was my gift was, uh, was skating. So, you know, I had to take what was afforded me an opportunity to be successful in high school, just on natural ability. And I had to expand my knowledge junior hockey wasn't going to do that because they were already working with kids who you know understood all of that theory essentially and then we're going to implement that skill set that mentality that um uh those philosophies within the game so you know toledo gave me a, a tremendous opportunity to really kind of take a step back and learn you know some of the things the aspects of hockey that i hadn't been exposed to outside of just you know trying to toe drag somebody and, and skate around them well, um, let me ask you something here. So we, go ahead, go ahead and finish. Your well, answer. I was just saying, so, yes. Yeah, so, so going back to answer your question, you know, after Toledo, I wanted to keep moving forward and not that I felt like I was, you know, that I couldn't learn anymore in Toledo. Uh, you know, God knows that's had nothing to do with it. It was just, I wanted to go get the, the taste of junior hockey and, um, had the opportunity to do it and, and, and did it. And, um, you know, it was an experience. It was definitely a, a character shaping experience for, for sure. Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk for a minute here for a little bit about, you know, you talk about playing on the pond. Tell me, how old were you when you first put on a pair of skates that you can remember anyway? Oh, man, I, very young. I, I, I Five, maybe four. You know, it would it would have been extremely young because it would have been dad dragging me around the pond. You know, my brother is, uh, is a good bit older than I was or than I am. So, you know, he would have been playing hockey with his friends and I would have been a spectator, you know, he's nine years older than I am. So, you know, when he was, you know, 13, 14, you know, playing with his friends, I was, you know, four or five. Um, so that probably would have been, uh, you know, somewhere around that, that ballpark. I can remember playing baseball and, um, just being so bored. I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a high strung guy. You know, I, I like to have, uh, ADHD, I like to keep my mind, you know, attentive mm -hmm. and, um, baseball was just not fun for me. I didn't enjoy it. I remember, you know, telling my dad on the way home from a game one time, I said, I, I don't want to play baseball. And he goes, well, what are you playing for? I said, well, I thought you wanted me to play. He goes, well, hell don't play for me. And uh, I said, I want to play hockey. <laughs> and a couple of my friends, uh, you know, had played, Optimist Hockey at Koha, the Kalamazoo Optimist Hockey Association. And and uh, now when I was playing baseball, I could never find my glove. I didn't know where my cleats were, you know. And I remember my dad saying, how are you going to keep track of, of a bag full of gear when you can't even find your glove? And I said, I don't know, but I promise I'll do it. And uh, for the most part, I kept my promise. Well, that's not – well, yeah, I was going to say, I think most kids that fall in love with the sport usually do. I mean, they, I mean, oh man, it, it might be yeah. ragtag. It might smell to high heaven, you name it, but by gosh, they're going to, they're, they, they know where it's at. They know they keep it and they keep it intact 
for the most part. Uh, now, how old were you when you first started playing, like, organized? Probably about eight. If I would I think right around eight or ten. I was a peewee, so, you know, that's probably 12, but I don't think I started that late. It, it might have been. Um, but I, I played for a uh, house league team here in our Optimus Association, you know, called uh, – uh, Koha that I mentioned earlier, I played for Little Caesars. A friend of my dad's was the coach. And the first time that I, I jumped on the ice to take a shift, I went down and scored. And that and that probably helped my love for the game a little bit. I, getting some instant success. Yeah. <laughs> Not even knowing probably what I was doing, you know, um, at the time. But to tell you what, that's usually how it works best is when you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> that's probably when you're gonna go, okay, hey, boom. Let's get I'll that. have to send you, I'll have to post a picture sometime. I think I have a picture somewhere because we went to the, you know, the used equipment sale to get all my equipment. And I had these gloves at a 10, as a 10 year old, you know, they were the long cuff, like Victoriaville cloth gloves that were made for like an, an adult that was six, four. So these gloves are just massive on me, you know, and I, I look back at that picture and I just laugh. It's funny how stuff like that, you know, you, you have such an affinity for, you know, at the time you're like, oh, these gloves are way too big and the palms are ripped out of them and I can't even hardly, you know, hold my stick with these things on. And now you look back and, you know, get a big kick out of that. Oh, I'm with you there. The first pair of gloves, I, I played peewee and back in the day at, at the ice house here in Toledo and the, my, the gloves I had, I bought them used, I think for like a couple of bucks and they had big holes in the hands. I mean, you could see my hand. Yep. And, oh yeah, uh, and uh, oh yeah, and then of course our our team name was uh, I think uh, it was called Penske. I think Roger Penske sponsored the team, not that oh, wow. Penske, but uh, yeah. it was Penske Sabers. <laughs> that's all I remember. And uh, so I so it was the it was the blue with the gold stripes, and I tried that was the only jersey we had was just the blue and gold stripe, and I tried to find used. Uh, gear like pants and socks to match it oh yeah well i couldn't all i could find was green and gold pants <laughs> or no it was blue and white pants and green and gold oh, socks so i looked horrible. that's awesome i looked horrible but well hey considering my playing skills it pretty much was appropriate anyway uh but let's now let's talk about you though getting uh did you when did you start playing travel i never played travel hockey that was, uh, that was kind of the, yeah, that was kind of the, um, I think that was my, my issue with when I went to go play, you know, for Toledo and they're starting to talk about some of the system stuff. And I didn't know what they were talking about. I, um, you know, played high school, I played optimist, you know, house hockey and then played, um, high school. And then I was just, I just thought the natural, um, you know, the natural flow of events for me was going to go to junior A and then right to the NHL. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that did not work out. So, um, you know, and it's funny too, I look back and I think, you know, after coaching, you know, so many years of, of tier two travel hockey in Nashville and, and some of the stuff that the kids are learning, I was never exposed to any of that. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I had a, I had a little bit of a catching up to do and, uh, a lot of cramming to do. Well, you know, uh, was there, I mean, how difficult of a jump was it for going from high school to junior? 
not just, um, from, not just from the X's and O's point, but I mean from the physical point standpoint as far as because there's a lot more physicality at the junior level, speed, yeah, that kind of stuff. The the like I I mentioned earlier, the, the skating was was a natural thing for me. That was just you know, it just came easy for me. I you know I was if I needed to skate out of trouble, or if I needed to uh, to get somewhere. Um, and the physicality part, because you're such a strong skater, even though I'm not a very, it wasn't a very big guy, I was able to play heavier than I was, you know, than, than my stats, you know, uh, allowed because I was just such a strong skater. Um, so the 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 speed of the game, following the game, the puck movement was the biggest thing for me, um, and I really suffered the first part of the season. But it was really interesting because if you look, if you if you rip that year apart for me stat wise. You know, I had like maybe a goal and like four or five assists for the first half of the season through Christmas or so. And, you know, 15 or 18 for the back half of the year, you know, goals. And I don't know what, you know, what assists were, but it's just the growth was tremendous. And um, Bob Zion, who's one of the associate coaches, he was, he was a goalie coach, but then, a, you know, coach on the bench. He was so tough to play for uh, because he was a very black and white um expected a lot um and and him and I butted heads earlier in the season you know probably because I was a cocky young kid and I thought I knew it all and I can remember a game in St. Louis um after we you know the second half of the season and I had gone behind the net to to feel the puck over in the corner and as I came up the boards to cycle the puck I realized that um that the corridor, but, you know, around the top of the circles to the net was wide open. The defenseman hadn't, you know, uh, hadn't come up and the, and the winger hadn't come down and I had kind of an, an easy route to the net. And I just circled around to the top of the circles and, and shelved it right over the goalie short side shoulder. And I don't even think I meant to do it. You know, it was like, we had, we had practiced this. We'd gone through this. It was an instinctive thing that, that had been programmed and I went back to the bench and I just remember Bob coming over and grabbing me and bear hugging me and picking me up. And he's like, that was such a beautiful goal. And I'll never forget how impactful that was because him and I had such a, you know, um, he was just riding my rear end all the time in practice. Mm -hmm. Jennings, you know, he'd scream at me, Jennings, get your move, your feet, Jennings. He would, whatever. You just get tired of somebody yelling your, your name all the time, you know, mm -hmm. thinking that they're just, they just got it, got it out for me. And I can remember him hugging me at that game. And that's something I took to my coaching, you know, to, to make sure that those kids who you're riding because you believe in them and you care for them and you want the best for them, making sure that they understand what the motivation is behind, you know, some of the, the, the tougher times of, of uh, you know, kind of beating them up and their play. Um, but, yeah, that was something I'll, I'll never forget. Well, tell me what it was like when you, when you came to camp, uh, when you first got there. Uh, was it – uh, any kind of transition for you to try and adapt for the the way you dealt with moving to junior hockey were you nervous apprehensive uh or did you go in with a bit of a cocky attitude i you know um i would probably say i came in with a cocky attitude if i had to look back now i don't know that that was the case but um you know i i don't remember i just remember going to the, going to the junior camps you know like i i went to a camp for omaha and i went to a camp for well this is the next year though this is the next year um all of those camps 
they have kind of a vibe to them, you know, because you got you got all these players. You got 60, 80 players there. They're all really good hockey players. Everyone there is posturing, you know. Uh, they want to get a they want to get a spot, um, you know. So you're competing either with uh, with the fists, uh, or you're competing with the the skates, or you're competing, you know, somehow just to try to get seen and and uh, and get on the team. Um, I was probably intimidated, but let you know, tr- tried not to let anybody see that. I was probably cocky to try to suppress any of the intimidation, you know, that was beneath the surface. I try to maybe to let people know that I wasn't nervous when I probably really was. Um, but uh, I, I don't remember really spe- if there was any specific, um, you know, I, I definitely know that looking back, I wish I would have um, had a different attitude, would, would have just been more of like a sponge, you know, uh, than, than, than it was like, you know, I, I think I thought I was better than I was. And I think I thought at the time I was more worried about being a good hockey player at the time than I was worried about becoming a better hockey player tomorrow, you know, which I think was something I learned when I coached. You know, you see kids come through and they, they're so worried about having the fancy toe drag or having the fancy backhand, you know, shelf over the goalie shoulder that they miss learning. And, and that actually, that lesson that probably hurt me long-term in hockey is something I applied to my music career to make sure that I approach every day is how can I learn something new today? How can I humble myself? How can I, you know, uh, know what my weaknesses are and work on those to get those better. Um, but I, I don't really remember if I had a specific thing at camp. I, I remember being excited, you know, to go to the, to the next level or, or, you know, to this level and play, you know, hockey. And, um, I, and I really love the guys, you know, the camaraderie was, was really something, you know, that was special with that team. So when, um, you, when you first went there in Toledo, did, was there anybody that you had known prior or was it a whole new world for you? Um, there was one kid that I traveled with that was on the team. Um, I think he skated with us for a while. Uh, Rich Pine from Kalamazoo. We, we played hockey together, high school hockey together. He was a great big kid and, and had a good shot. And had only skated for like not very many years. I want to say like three or four years. So he really kind of like once he um, decided that hockey was for him, it's like all he did. And then he just, uh, he was a sweetheart of a kid, hardworking. And I can't remember if he, I think he came to camp and then maybe got sent home um, or maybe played for a little while and then got sent home or or something. But um, that's the only guy that I knew uh going into camp everyone else was brand new the coaches were all brand new you know it was my first time thinking about going to live in in another city um you know so all that stuff was new and i was excited i was excited to kind of do the junior hockey thing i'd always heard about living with a host family and you know getting on the bus and and uh and kind of you know getting a taste of that lifestyle so i was really excited for that who'd you bill it with i billeted with rick and chris Ciro. You know them? I do Remember know them. Mm-mm. Okay, well, they're still dear friends. Their son Brandon, who was ten years old or eight years old, I guess, when I was there. Um, you know, he's now a golf pro in uh, in Detroit. Uh, he went on to play at UNO uh, and went and played in East Coast League. You know, his uh, dad, his dad Rick, was a played in the OHL for a number of years. Was it was a big rough and tumble defenseman, and they're just um, dear friends. Again, you know, this whole experience with Toledo. I built just some really solid lifelong relationships 
and uh, it was just an unbelievable experience. That's awesome. Now, uh, do you remember your first goal? Nope, I don't. I don't remember. I, you know, the, there's a, there's a few goals that I do remember when we were playing in the national championship, um, but I don't remember my first one in Toledo. I probably should, but I, I don't. No, 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 no need, no worries. Um, <laughs> trust me, I probably. I, I wish I could say that there were so many of them I can't remember, but that wasn't the case either. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'll just remain silent on that. Anyhow, uh, who who did you? Uh, who was the first guy that you really? Uh, well, first off, do you remember who your line mates were when you first started? Uh, Sean Bratton. Um, hold on a sec. Uh, Chris Nicholson. And Sean Bratton and I, and, and the Deitch brothers. Um, so I think it was Jason Deitch. He might have been a – I can't remember. I, Jason and I played together some. Chris Nicholson and I played together some. Sean Bratton and I played together some. Um, and all three of us were, you know, um, you know, Mark and Jason Deitch were super tight. We were actually at, at Danville's camp together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a hilarious story about Jason Deitch. So remind me to circle back on that. But um, – those I, th- I think those are pretty much my line mates. I think I play. My, I might have skated with JD Ring a couple times, which which you know made you feel a little bit safer on the ice. Yeah, I was usually I was usually a. Uh, I think I started at the bottom of the pack, you know, third fourth liner, worked my way up to second third liner uh, through you know towards the end of the season. Um, I think I was kind of a moderately serviceable middle of the middle of the road um, winger slash centerman. Now, I wasn't a very big guy, uh, but my mobility. You know, I think afforded me you know, some opportunities up the middle, and and uh, so I kind of bounced around a little bit. Well, um, I'm just remembering. I'm trying to remember uh, because you, uh, you know, when you were up front like that. I mean, that that team, and I remember I just uh, vaguely, but I remember that you guys used to absolutely uh, tick off guys on the other side. I mean, especially especially the Deitches more than most. Uh, but Sean Bratton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Deitches are beauties, man. I I love those kids so much. You know, um, it's funny because great. those the guys, whole family. Yeah, uh, uh, Josh. Uh, I remember all of them. You know, the as oh, guys yeah. that uh, they were they were they were just jewels, man. Pieces of work. Love them. Just love oh, they were that that their that whole family. They're all hockey players. I mean, they all love the game. They all live and breathe the game. Um, yeah, a great group. Yeah, and, and it's funny, you know, like I said, uh, you know, and didn't Sean Bratton have a brother that played there? Or am I, I not? I think Derek, is it, is it Derek? Did Derek play there too? I don't know. I can't remember the name, but I thought I don't remember. Had... I, I, I don't know if he played in Toledo. I, that I don't know. I know his brother's name is Derek. Um Okay. And I've, I've, I've remained uh, pretty close with the family. They've, they've come up to see me play music, uh, you know, on a regular. So I get to see them guys um, a good bit. Well, I was going to say, let, let's put it this way. I'm sure that when folks hear this, uh, some of the uh, hockey people hear this, they'll, they'll let us know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah. But uh, so now in your mind, when you played back then, who were, who were the, your biggest rivals? Motor City was our biggest rival by far. As far as you're talking about the teams we played. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it was funny because uh, Matt Moe and I, um, 
who Matt Moe played for the Motor City Chiefs, and then um, and obviously I played for Toledo. We beat Motor City in in I think the third game of the best of three series for the Gold Cup. Is it Gold Cup, right? Yeah, back then it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was in triple overtime. It was in Motor City. Very, very dramatic game. And um, and then my, uh, Matt and I played together in Springfield the next year. Mm-hmm. And we're from we're from kind of the same area. He's from Battle Creek, uh, just uh, a little bit east of Kalamazoo. And, and we played against each other. He played for the Battle Creek Bullets, which was the travel hockey team. I played for the Kalamazoo Blades, which was the local – uh, high school team, and we played some games together. They would just brutalize us. They would beat us thirteen to two. Uh, they were a, a, a pretty talented group of kids, and he, and he was a, a you know talented defenseman, real physical. Um, and uh, and we ended up playing together, you know, that next year. But Motor City was, you know, they were a great team. Um, there were a, there was a lot of bad blood, you know, against Motor City. There was a lot of fights against Motor City. Um, so at the time. That was our biggest rival. You know what the funny part is about say. that? The funniest thing about that is that that year that you played there, and you talk about, you know, you had to win Gold Cup to make it to national. Okay? Yeah. Because back then, whoever it was whoever won Gold Cup and whoever finished first overall got ticket yep. their ticket punched for nationals. And that year, nationals was held at our home rink. That's right, at Tam O'Shanner. Yeah. So if it didn't, if, if, if we didn't, we didn't win uh, first overall. So if we didn't win gold cup, there was, did no, we not win it last? Did we not finish first that year? I don't believe so. No, we had, had to win. I want to say we did. Okay. I don't remember, but I want to say we did. Cause I thought we, we won the league championship and then we won the playoff. I can't remember. I don't remember, but, um, because didn't Robbie Crowley do. didn't Crowley uh, do the slap shot thing across the oh the my bench? god yes he did <laughs> <laughs> yes he did I don't remember who that was against but I just remember I thought it was Motor City in the playoff game it, well it it pr- probably was I, I I can still hear Scott Searing go it's not slap shot Rob you know. Um, <laughs> I remember him. I remember him scolding Rob in in the in the locker room. That was so funny. I couldn't believe he did. Nobody could believe that he did that. That's curly for you. Oh, he was such a tough kid though. Too, he was so strong. Um, I guess I guess I shouldn't be really that surprised, but that was funnier than hell. Yeah, it was. And I I, I just laughed my butt silly. Uh, did you travel with, with the team back then? I, I, I uh, that first season, no. I I okay. did home games. And then I didn't start till well. I went to I went to nationals the following year. I flew out to Simi Valley, and uh, okay. and broadcast the championship game back on live on uh, radio back to Toledo. Um, but uh, I started after the year after that. I started doing home and away. I started yep, doing okay. home and away games on the internet. And uh, okay, well, I just asked because there was a there was a you know speaking of slap shot, there was this really out of hand game. And I, and I don't remember where we were at. I want to say we were at Lakeland or Frazier. It might've been Frazier. And, uh, and they had thrown, they had thrown some stuff on the ice and, and uh, Sean Cass who came for my season, he came late, you know, they had picked the team. I think Sean went to go play either junior hockey or, um, or college or something. And then decided he was going to come back. And 
Um, you know, he scored a whole pile of goals, you know, for us. Uh, wow. and, 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 you know, he was absolutely a hothead. Now he still rumor, probably is. He's, he's probably listening, and he's absolutely a hothead. Probably not as much now, but. Well, I, I, he I want to tell you ahead. this. I just want to tell you this story real quick because I wanted to tie into you. So, to um, <laughs> okay, uh, he my, now this is through other folks telling me this through other podcasts. My understanding, and I'm still trying to get Sean to come on here and talk to me. <laughs> yeah, of course, he's not. He, he, he said he said yes. Long time ago, he said yes, but then it's like, I mean, he he coaches, so I I give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, mm-hmm. you know, thing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And now he's got a baby on the way. I think he's number four. Yeah. And so. Yeah, know, he's a busy boy. His, yeah, him and his wife are, are, are tied up with that. So I was like, okay. But the but the thing is, is that now, according to everyone else, like Kellemeyer, et cetera, um, he was with Motor City. And played for uh, yeah, them that's right. that year. That's right. And that's he right. was traded to Toledo because he got suspended because he was in St. When he was playing for Motor City, he was in St. Louis and took took too long in the locker room. And the, I don't know, it was the equipment manager or the rink manager or who, or the Zamboni driver, I think it was, walks into the locker room. It tells him to, you know, get out of there, you know, if they need to clean everything up, et cetera. And I guess him and Sean got into a fight and Sean took care of business and he got suspended oh for however many games. And he came to Toledo and, uh, it, it served a suspension, but he came to Toledo, but he also, and like you said, he, you know, in addition to his, uh, his temperament, he was able to put the puck in the net and he was a defenseman yeah. too, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. I don't think so. No, okay. he was a he was a he was a centerman, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that that sounds that sounds like him. <laughs> uh, well, 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 and something had transpired during the game. I don't really remember the, all the details. You know, of course, I'm a I'm a 18 year old kid at the time, just trying not to, you know, trying to get from game to game, and and um, I just remember there was a huge melee that broke out, and then we're leaving the ice. And one of the parents or one of the spectators or something jumps down and attacks Cass oh boy. As, as the team's leaving, as the team's walking off from the ice. So it turns into like a street brawl. Guys are, guys are trying to stand up on the concrete with their skates and they're falling over and people are throwing punches. And it turned into this, you know, this whole slap shot melee. The wow. police ended up showing up. It was just, it was just an absolute gong show. And, uh, but I can't remember if that was, I want to say that was Frazier. I'm sure these guys, you know, they're going to, they're going to hear this and they're going to call me and be like, you idiot, that was Lakeland or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, going back to Kellermar, you brought Kellermar. I would never believe a single thing that that kid ever says. <laughs> Not a single thing. If he says go north, go south. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this. I love this. <laughs> that's another i'll tell you I, I got a great story about mike um he was coaching and i was coaching at the same time and, and his team came down to nashville and and our um, or maybe we were in a tournament somewhere and um we we're facing off and our teams are facing off and our teams are warming up and you know it's, it's custom uh for at the peewee level and some of those travel levels for you know the captains of the team to come over to the opposing team's bench and shake the hands with the coach and say hey good good luck coach good luck coach and so I'm standing there and um, watching the warm up, and I'm talking to my assistant coach, and I see a couple of players coming across 
out of the ice here from the other team and they got something in their hand it looks like a program and uh so they walk up and and it's a picture of me and like the first year that i'm performing it was this terrible promotional like eight by ten that we used of me and a wife beater with a cowboy hat glasses i had like a american flag <laughs> scarf scarf on my thing with torn jeans and i got a headset microphone with with uh aviators on and we were selling these things you know at the the first few shows that i did Kelly had gotten one somehow or printed one off and the kids came over and said hey hey coach i'm a huge fan do you mind you know and they're looking for an <laughs> autograph and I and I reach back to look through the glass across the penalty boxes and the scorekeeper and Kellemeyer's with his little beady eyes looking over the you know looking looking over the dasher you know just getting a big kick out of it but yeah what a what a great kid great oh, kid yeah oh the pride of Fort Wayne although I don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness but uh, you know that and that's the thing about you know that team. And the, some of the guys from that team, not only with the national championship team, but the I've always said this, and and I still hold it to be true. I think that the team the team that won it all in '98, I think had the better chemistry. Okay, they were the, the uh, yep. they were the tighter chemistry group, but I still will tell you till my my last breath that the '96 '97 team was the better team. Okay. I yeah, just, in terms I, I, of I, skill level on down. Yep. There were some super talented guys, um, you know, and, and there were, there were, it was just a good team, you know, it, like it was the role players were there, you know, um, I'm, you know, Ronnie Burnside was just an absolute workhorse and he, and I learned a lot from watching him just with his effort and his willingness to, to do whatever it takes. His chin was cut open every game. You know, um, but he was just a workhorse and did whatever it took. He wasn't, a, I don't think he was really, if I remember, he wasn't really specialized in any one particular thing, but, you know, he worked his tail off and, uh, and the guys really liked him and he motivated the guys. And, um, you know, the, the role players were all there. We had a, a great decor. Our, our goalie, Adam Pobiak, was outstanding. Great um, sideburns, too. He had the chops going back then. Great sideburns. That's right. Absolutely. It was funny because later on, I think maybe the, um, or maybe it was the, the, the summer prior to camp, he was from Pittsburgh and he was talking about, um, some of the penguins that were practicing, you know, beforehand or something like that. And he was, he's standing there, um, with his gear on watching practice and everybody leaves the ice and Yager is still out on the ice and taps on the glass. And he says, Hey, you want to come out and take some shots? And Adam's like, hell yeah, I do. And, and I remember Adam saying he literally had to loft a saucer pass from center ice just so that I could say that I stopped him, you know, Yager in his prime. Because he was doing drills where he'd come through the neutral zone, like on the right side of the boards, and then he'd do the hard, the, the Joe Sackick, he'd like do a hard turn, you know, uh, east and west up the blue line and then fire against his body, you know, to just to, to try to, you know, get get that rhythm and, and the, the feel of how that went. And he's like, Pobiak is just saying, man, he is blazing these wristers over my shoulder. And I know where they're going, and I still can't really even stop him. You know, so it was a That's crazy. neat story. That is. Yeah. That is crazy. Now, I'm trying to remember. Oh, can't can't forget uh, the big number two, Jason Renniger. My gosh. Mm. That, that guy. Oh, yeah. That guy could throw oh, yeah. some thunderous hits. Oh, dude. I, I remember a couple times when he threw, he'd throw hip checks. And, you know, he was such a big dude. And let me tell you, I faltered this massively in junior hockey there was a, a a guy that i played with in springfield and his name was matt uh lewis 
Matt Lewis was 6'4 and about 230. Mm -hmm. And I topped out at about 5'7, you know, about 175. Um, and for the most part, most of the guys, if I wanted to go to the outside, I, you know, if I, if I was use variable speed and kind of set them up at the blue line and kind of coming down, you know, like half speed and then take a couple of hard steps, I could get around most guys, you know, well, not Matt Lewis and Jason did the same thing. He would close that door so fast and he looked he kind of, I think gave the appearance that he was maybe a little aloof and too big and cumbersome. Um, but man, he would, he would, he would tear into that inside edge uh, and, and come back into the, to the boards and close that door. And, you know, some of those hits, I can still hear, boom, boom, you know, and you just yep. think, Oh man, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, mommy. I <laughs> would sit there and just go, Oh mommy. That just, I oh, mean, th those things would rattle your molars when he hit. Oh yeah. Those oh. hurt. Yep. Cause there's nowhere for anything to go. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, Sometimes when you, when you, you know, when you hit somebody against the, the boards, especially with the boards, when I played, it's changed a lot in the last 20 years because the, just the way that they construct the rinks now, but you know, there was a lot of flex and a lot of give, but you know, when you get hit checked right at the dasher, it, nothing, you know, like um, nothing moves. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to hear some stories now. I want to hear uh, some, I mean, you've been telling me a couple here, so that's great. But I mean, in terms of um, Toledo centric, some of the, more offbeat humorous stuff that you remember uh, you talked earlier about mr deitch i'm sure you will yeah well the the story that i've got about jason was um you know we went to that springfield camp together and um you know this might have been this might have been the year after we played together i'm pretty sure it was because I got, I ended up getting drafted by springfield i was actually i was going to go to compuers camp and i was working at a hockey shop here in kalamazoo and uh, and I got a phone call from Joe McGlynn, who was, um, I think, the assistant coach at the time, and and, and called me at work. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, you got a phone call. I'm like, who the hell is calling me at work? Well, hey, it's Joe McGlynn from the Springfield Junior Blues. And I said, hey, Joe. And he says, just uh, haven't gotten your RSVP for camp next weekend. I said, well, I'm actually, I registered to go to the CompuWare camp. And uh, – and he said, well, you know, if you're going to play in the North American League, you know, you've got to play here. And anyway, well, so I end up at the Springfield camp and Jason's there, Jason and Mark. And Jason had, had left his gloves back in the hotel. Mm -hmm. And so he had asked me if I, if, if, uh, if he could borrow my gloves, you know, cause I was there early to watch some of the other games and stuff. And I said, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So his game started, I watched a, you know, a, a period or, um, I don't think it was very long, was, you know, but they started playing because, you know, the the uh, the camp games aren't very long. They're not like full length games. They're yeah. just, you know, 30, 40 minute games, scrimmages. They go quick. So, you know, once the, the scrimmage starts, you know, you've got about 30 or 40 minutes to get your stuff on and kind of get ready for your game. And so I watched the first couple of minutes of theirs and then I go into the locker room and, and here comes Jason Deitch with his eye completely closed. Oh. And he's, he's handing me my he's handing me my gloves back. Apparently he'd challenged somebody or somebody had challenged him and, and uh, he didn't throw fast enough or something, but I mean, his whole eye was closed and the, in classic Deitch fashion, you know, all of those kids are so tough. Jason was, you know, the smallest of the, of the three, but he was as tough as the other ones. Uh, you know, in classic Deitch fashion, he came in with his eye closed and he just smiled at me. He goes, thanks boss. And I remember throwing him, him throwing my gloves across the locker room at me 
And I just looking at him like, oh my God, you know, and he was just all smiles and <laughs> Ain't nothing, nothing <laughs> out of the ordinary, just another day at the office. You know, I, I, I'll just uh, try to get that guy next time. Oh God. It reminds me we had, I remember one time at a tryout camp uh, a few years later, uh, this kid challenged, he was short. He was probably about five, I'd say five, six. And uh, he challenged a kid that neither one of them made the team, but during camp, uh, the kid he challenged was literally like six, three, six, four. And I'm going, oh. this is not going to go well. And so oh, they fight and the big guy, obviously, you know, he takes care of business. Well, this kid skates back to the, the bench and is bleeding and his nose is swollen. And so everyone on the bench is going, dude, you got a broken nose. You got a broken nose. He goes, nah, he says, I broke it last week at a camp in Huntsville. So yeah, that sounds it, about right. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like just so nonchalant, no big deal, whatever. Yep. And, I'm, and I'm sitting there going, holy heck, are you crazy? But hey, that's yeah, just the well, life of a hockey it, player. And that was where I was at as an 18 year old kid who had never really played competitive hockey to that degree and, and hadn't probably been exposed to that part of the culture. You know, I knew hockey players were tough and, and, and whatever, but man, I grew up real quick in those couple of, you know, of, I guess what I consider formative junior years, um, because it was like, I can remember in Springfield in, in camp, Matt Kruzik, who was also from my hometown, he called, he called a kid out and they squared up at center ice and the kid was a lefty. And I remember the kid punching Matt and as Matt is getting punched, hearing him go, oh, he's a lefty. While, like, while he's getting punched, you can hear in between the punches him going, oh, he's a lefty. Oh my God. So this kid, got, this kid got, the, you know, got, got the better of him. So they go into the bench, and they're talking. You're jabbering back and forth. Hey, you know, and, and Kruzik was just tougher than nails. He's like, next, he's like, right, as soon as we get out, we're going again. And so they, they, they leave the penalty box. They square up right there at center race and do it again. And, and it was kind of a draw. And, and Kruzik wasn't happy with that performance. So he, he, one more time, he yelled across the kid, one more time, you know, until I feel satisfied with, with my performance, he wasn't going to let it go. And boy, I remember watching that going, where am I? Like, what in the hell is going on here? You know? Um, so I grew up a lot. Wow. Not bad. Now, did you get into many fights when uh, you played? Not many. I, no, I probably, I had probably half a dozen fights. I, you know, I, I always did pretty well. I only, I lost, I've lost one fight, um, considerably. And that was to a big Canadian kid in men's league in Nashville. I mean, I, you know, all my, all my competitive career, I did pretty well. I could, I could handle myself. I, you know, I spent a lot of time in the gym. I want a very, you know, tall dude, but I was pretty strong for my size and, and I could handle myself for the most part. And, uh, I did pretty well. And, and then uh, later on in Nashville, we, we were playing men's league, just a bunch of guys that all know each other, and they all got out of hand. And this great big kid from Canada, uh, Blake, I don't remember his last name, but, you know, he he was 6'3", six, 6'4", six, type thing. And we, we get our hands up in front of the scorekeeper's box, and and uh, we start jibber-jabbering. And I said, well, let's go. He goes, you want to go? I go, let's go. So we, we kind of skate out to center ice. We square up. And I, I swing as hard as I can, and I'm about three inches short oh. of his face. And he knocked me silly. 
I woke up. My, my teammates were picking me up, and lights went out. And my teammates picked me up, and I said, "What happened?" And uh, my, my 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 buddy says, "You got your bell rung." And uh, it was funny because I had some some friends on the other team, and it was center ice. Everybody had a you know had a front front row seat to this, and um, and they said, "Man, you missed." You know, you missed by like, if you would have connected, you know, you might've done okay, but you missed by like this much. And then it was just, I mean, it was like doink and my feet just go boom like this. <laughs> yeah. I was lights out. And the, and the funny thing was the kid comes up after the, you know, at the bar afterwards and he goes, Hey man, you know, hands me a beer. He says, no hard feelings. And I was, I was foggy and, and dizzy and probably had a concussion and I remember looking across the table at my buddy. I'm like, why the hell would he have any hard feelings? <laughs> he, knocked me, he knocked me out. No, nope, But I appreciate the beer. Hey, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Hey, got, got, you got a benefit out of it. So Happens to the best of us. Yes, happens it to the best. See, that, that's the other thing that I learned. I watched guys get, like, have that happen to them, and they're right back in the next time. That's tough. Yeah. You know, if you, if you win every fight, that's cool. But tough is when you don't win every fight, and then you still answer the bell. Uh, those are the guys that are like, you know, Jason Deitch was like that. Yeah, you know, Jason, uh, he he was he was right back into it. Eye closed, not eye closed. Couldn't see, can't see. You know, um, and and a lot of the team was like that. I think that's what made us so tough to play against. You know, that year. Well, not everybody can be JD Rain. Come on. <laughs> but- oh man, I you know you talk about some stories about that. Ringer was like. I don't know, man. It, it was like he was, you know, six four, um, and we called him Baby Huey because his head was so damn big. You remember, you remember yep. Baby Huey was? Oh yeah. He could only wear he could only wear the Jofa because nothing else would fit his nugget. <laughs> and um, and he would. I remember guys would guys would you know challenge him or, or they would agree they're going to fight. And for JD, it was almost like an imposition. It was like he was like he take his mask off. Like God dang it, I really want to just move the puck around. You know, and you could see him like some guys, you know, they would get all like Rob Kroll was, he would get all like hyped up and he'd start breathing heavy and he like, you know, he'd get all like bowed up, like he's flexing and, and JD would just be like unsnap was one side of his thing and he had unsnap the other side of his mask and he'd just take his hat, take his hat off, you know, take his helmet off and set it down and then he'd square up and then just brutalize people. Yeah. So, that guy should have, um, I mean, he should have, uh had uh, the guys that he fought should have been arrested for impersonating a pinata. I mean, it just, Oh man. Yeah. He was such a, he was such a tough kid. And you know, that was the other thing is like, I mean, when you play uh, your inner league stuff, you know, pretty much everybody gets to know each other and they know who to stay away from and you know, uh, who, who not to make angry. And, um, but then when you have these, like these cross scrimmages, like, you know, we scrimmage, um, I'm trying to think if it was a if it was a Toledo team or probably Springfield when he when he scrimmaged OHL teams, but just non-league guys, you know, you go somewhere to a tournament or something, and they're like they they think they're going to beat this guy up, and you couldn't wait for them, you know, to see this go down because you know what's going to happen, and and this this poor sob doesn't even know what he's getting himself into. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, Ringer Ringer was a lot, of, and he's a great guy too. You know, he was he was just such a good teammate. You know, he he uh, uh, he was just another one of the one of the guys. Yeah, I saw him just about. A few years ago, we had a, a get-together alumni game featuring a lot of the guys from the national championship team and some of the guys from the, uh, the from different eras that came together and played against each other. And uh, oh, he, awesome. he flew in from he flew in from Houston to come in and uh, catch anybody. But he forgot to bring his skates, 
So that sounds about right. Yeah. Those have got to be, those have got to be size 24. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he came in and he just, he hung out. I mean, he spent the whole weekend, you know, hanging out with everybody and having a great time. I believe he, he's a car, uh, a car salesman or something down in Houston. I think he's a, I think he's a hell of a golfer too. From what yes. I understand. Oh yeah. He, he, I remember that even before I seen him then. Uh, he was uh, he was a heck of a golfer. He used to run a golf course like he was a, a manager or something of a golf course yeah. and stuff. That guy, yeah, that guy can can swing the sticks, no question about that. Um, now, <laughs> who would you say out of that bunch? Uh, who would you say probably is probably the, the like the the funniest or the I mean, Kellemeyer, I'd say probably Mike, the one that Mike Kellemeyer, hands down. It's not even a it's not even a contest. If anybody from that team says anyone else. They're just wrong. Well, I mean, Kellemeyer was so, such a fun teammate. Mm-hmm. Now, did uh, did Nikki Dijon play with you back then? Yes. Oh, yep. Okay. I think he took the title. They said in '98 because, uh, yeah, okay. Kellemeyer told me some stories. If you go and listen on his podcast, he tells a couple of really. He's got a pod. Yeah. Kellemeyer's got a podcast. Yeah. Oh. Well, no, 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 no. He's on my podcast. He's oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, I get it. Okay. I thought, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So his, his slot episode, of your podcast. His episode. Yeah. Oh, I have to go. I got, I will definitely go check that out. I thought you were saying he was hosting a podcast. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure his, his wife has to get him even like turned on to the computer. You know, he probably doesn't know how to get on a computer. Oh, all I'll say is this, is that <laughs> I was amazed, amazed. <clears throat> he was able, as much as he talked about, he was able to keep it pretty PG 13. Uh, oh, that pushing, kid is so funny. Her. I mean, he talked about yeah. Nikki uh, going and getting. They went to a they went to a party in BG. This was on his uh, his edition. He talked about uh, him, everybody in the apartment. They had an apartment in the following year, and they what all, a terrible idea! Uh, what a terrible idea! Well, it was it was him, Dyson, Avink, and I can't remember who else. Maybe oh, Gary Thomas, I think. And anyway, oh yeah, I remember Gary. Gary Gary played my year too. Yeah. Yep. And uh anyway, there was a bunch of them and they were at the they were at they had an apartment, so you know that was a you know, the bookends of disaster waiting to happen. Um what are the yeah. odds? But anyway. Yeah, that's a yeah. Yeah, it was we bad. had that in Spring we had that in Springfield when the owners bought um had a house that they they you know rented to four of the veterans and I'm just like that. And you have to know, as part of management for a junior hockey team, like that's just a terrible idea. We had a lot of fun, though. Yeah, underage drinking. Hey, whatever. But uh, what? I don't uh, know what you're talking. Don't don't ah, that would never happen. No girls. No. Bing, bingo. No. Bingo. That's oh, all it doing, is. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, anyway, oh, so yeah. he's talking about Nikki going to to a bunch of them going to BG to a, a frat party, and I guess you know, I imagine what could have happened there. Well, yeah. to, to, yep. to, to cut to long, the long story short, they end up coming back, passing out in the apartment. And the next day, <laughs> they all wake up and they go and they look and they find Diachin. And I guess he was like totally hammered. I mean, Jack hammered at the party or whatever. Still? Like after like yeah. the next day? Yes. And he oh, was he, when he regained consciousness, he was covered <laughs> in his own. Yeah. Yep. His own poop. Wow. Pizza rolls. Oh, yeah. that. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. that's And that's the thing, you know, 
if you make a mistake like that as a, as a part of a hockey team, you have a new nickname forever that never goes away. No. That's funny. You know, but uh, – but That's amazing. And, and, uh, I'm looking forward – Nikki agreed that he's going to do – He's going to do an episode also. So he was, he was real hesitant, but he, I told him, I said, I'm not looking at this to try and bury. I said, we're looking to laugh at, you know, life back then as it was and just have a few oh, laughs it, about it, you know? And, and yeah, I mean, it's such a, such a great, you know, great memory for me. I'm, I'm sitting here telling you these stories and I'm, I'm you know, like thinking of them as I, you know, as they come out, um, it was just such a great time. Yep. So let's, uh, you know, uh, did you were you ever like the victim of a prank or any of the that kind of stuff? Um, I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't. I don't think I gave in. Oh, well, they might have. They might have shaved my head. I think. Well, I think everybody did I, as I, rookie I, as a rookie, didn't they? Yep. Yep. I think so. I'm trying to remember because I remember. I remember in Springfield uh they weren't even they weren't even that kind you know like it, in toledo we all shaved our heads i think as a, and we just kind of just it was cool and we just did that mm-hmm. um in springfield they gave me the terry bradshaw so they just they just shaved the top of my head and they left the long hair around the sides like terry oh. bradshaw has wow and they took off i had like sort of a sideburns they took off one sideburn so for my team pictures i've got a hat on they let me wear a hat because I had a team cut oh, gosh. and I had this awful thing going on. And uh, anyway, but no, I, I think in Toledo that we just shaved heads, not, not really any pranks. I think the only prank that I, that I fell for they were doing at the time, was probably Kellemeyer. If I remember <laughs> running around and filling up, filling up garbage cans full of water. And then you, you fill it about half or three quarters full, you know, this one. Oh, the leaders. And then you, you t- yep. Yep. <laughs> yep, you tip it, tip, tip it against the door, and then knock on the door, and they stand there through the peephole. And when you look there, you're like, "Oh, I know this person. That's fine." So you open the door, and then the, the wastebasket full of water tips over and covers your feet. Yep, uh, it's funny. That, you know, you mentioned that, haircuts. I actually got, I was actually victim of one, and that was my own doing. Uh, it was a few years after you were there, and we were uh, Peoria had come into the league, and we could not, for the life, of those guys. So we were in the playoffs first round in Peoria. And uh, this was like 2001, maybe 2000, 2001. And I, you know, I, I put up to the players. I said, Hey, I said, uh, we're in the hotel. And I'm like, if you guys can come back, we were down one game to none, best of three, all three games in Peoria. And I said, if if you could, I said, if you could, uh, if you can come back and win this, I said, you can shave my head thinking not a chance right lo and behold two over oh, two overtime winning games later uh they uh they get me in the hotel room and <laughs> <laughs> i ended up with the harry krishna look now uh, now for <laughs> <laughs> now for those of you that are listening to this that are uh the that know kyle through country music and don't really know much about uh hockey etc i was the broadcaster for the team that he played for uh for 20 seasons and just to give you an idea i'm a pretty big boy i don't you know i step on a scale a card comes out and says hey one at a time um and it's one of those it's one of those things where i mean just think uh dom deloise with facial hair anyhow they decide to buzz, so they buzz the front of my hair and leave the big 
chunk of hair right there at the front of my head, cut yep. cut in the middle, side to side, and then trim the back a little bit, but leave a big ponytail in the back. And oh my goodness, yeah, I had to go. Thank God I had a toque with me that uh, I could put on my head so that I could go until I got home and, and shave the rest. It was, you know, you know, it's funny too, because I was, you know, I talk about that Springfield team photo at the time, you know, you're trying, I don't know, for me, I was like, this is, this is going to be forever. I got to get a, I got to have a hat and you know, they let me wear a hat. I wish I wouldn't have, you know, now looking back, I wish I had just rocked it, you know, rock the Terry Bradshaw bald up top, you know, long hair around the sides, you know, just cause it would have been just a, such a gem. But if you look, in that team photo, you can see that I've got one sideburn completely gone. And did you ever rock the chops, or did you? Because uh, that was popular back then, or no? No, probably not the chops. I did, I did the, the and, and even the sideburns. I think you know when I say sideburns with mine, it was just like maybe not even to the bottom of the earlobe, like to, to halfway down the earlobe. Now when I Nash, yeah, for Nashville, when I got to Nashville, you know, for a couple of years, I did have like some low kind of some like Chris Cagle chops. Cause that was kind of the thing at the time they were growing some of that little, little bit longer, you know, below the ear type thing with a slant forward towards the chin. And I, and that's, uh, I look at those pictures now and still go, you know, do the same thing. Go, what were you thinking? Uh, you know, at that point when, yeah, I was going to say, you ever just look at it and go, I needed to go pee in a cup. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, okay. So we're, um, uh... So we've pretty much, you play in Toledo. Uh, the, tell me what it was like to play in nationals and to get to the national. Oh, man. Um, you know, you know, I, I was fortunate to coach in a couple, and I, I was fortunate to play in, in a couple. I got to play, you know, with Toledo, um, you know, at Tam O'Shanner, and then the next year in Springfield we played in Billings. Um, and, and, you know, telling the kids when you're coaching – you know, not very many people get to play in those things. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, there aren't, there aren't a lot of opportunities for, you know, most athletes will never play in a national championship. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how, I don't know how to, how to really do it, describe it. It's just a, it, it's an opportunity to get, to get to play at the premier echelon level of your, you know, of your competitive league or your competitive level. You know, um, you know we played the Minnesota Kodiaks in the final at Tam O'Shanner. And, um, you know, lost two to one and, and you know, I, I've, I've lost two and I won one as a coach. Um, and it's, uh, they're just neat. They're just, you know, it's just like anytime you get to play at the apex of your, your competitive level or an opportunity to compete in that, it's awesome. And as you get older, you know, winning is great, you know? So I don't want to sound like the guy's like, well, just play your best, honey. You know, winning is great, but really those experiences are, are you're priceless. Yeah, you, you know, and a lot of people don't get those experiences. Yeah, you know, I, I guess probably the Absolutely. thing I always took about it is, you know, I'm not one of those guys that it's like, well, finishing second sucks, man. It just means you couldn't win and you couldn't this and you could. It's like no, uh, the two things. One, it's a learning experience that you never forget and you will always remember the people that that got you to the dance. And number two, yep. the one thing I learned about losing is that I didn't like it. Okay, so let's. Yep, exactly. You know, so I'm going to compete and I'm going to do my best to try and win. Uh, that's yeah. that's what I always learned. And uh, but just going through that, and and I think it had to be really hard, you know, not to not to you know dwell on it, but it had to be 
additionally hard from the standpoint of losing the national championship at, at for Toledo on home ice. That I, I oh, would think that had to be pretty. I hard. mean, oh, dude. I mean, you know, you talked about like um, you know being like the being afraid of second place. I, you know, I think in the heat of the moment, second sucks. Yeah. In the heat of the moment, at the time, second sucks. It's one of those things that I think, in retrospect, that you that you kind of go, you know, you 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 take uh, the weight of those experiences and you learn and you grow from them. But at the time, second sucks. You know, just like we saw, I don't remember if the Swedish guy for the World Juniors memory threw his second place medal up in the oh, stands yeah. here a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and I looked at it and I'm like, it's the wrong thing to do, but I get it. You know, and and when you get older and, and as time passes and you look back on those things. You know, you're grateful for those opportunities and for those experiences. Um, yeah, but at the time, you want to win. Um, yeah, and 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 I, I think you you take every shift, you know, when you lose a game like that, and you think, what could I have done different? You know, could I have skated a little harder? Could I have, you know, did I have a couple more steps in me? Did I, you know, maybe I should have made that pass? You know, you just do you just do that stuff to yourself, and you know, it's it's not great to dwell on, but you you hope to learn from any mistakes that you made. And I remember that the way that the seating went and the tournament rules, Minnesota, because they finished ahead of us in the seating, got to choose the locker room and they chose our locker room. Yep. So here we are playing in our home rink and we have to go dress in the visitor's locker room, which was a little weird. You know, I think that, you know, maybe that had nothing to do with it, but it certainly was awkward for everybody because even if you're sitting next to the same person, it's still in a, you know, kind of, you know, hockey players are, are creatures of habit, you know? Um, So uh, I do remember that. And I, and I do remember the, the just empty feeling of that final buzzer. I do remember that thinking like there's no more time left. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's no more, no more periods. You know, know, and I now, okay. So we, we dealt with that. But I want to go back for one more game, and it was probably, to me, it was the quasi-national championship. It was Toledo against the New York Apple Corps. Oh, man. Yep. Because I remember that. Uh, it was, oh, they, they, had, well, they came in with a huge, they, came, they rode in with a huge brand. You know, uh, New York Apple Corps was just known as a, as a premier you know, hockey program. And, um, I remember just, you know, like certain brands, I think maybe, maybe not as you get older, but as you're younger, that's a little intimidating, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is little Caesars or, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, uh, whoever. Yeah, exactly. You know, New York Apple court at the time had that brand. They had that, that recognition. Yeah, so well, Henry Lazar um, was the guy that ran the Apple court organization. And on that team, I don't know if it was both, but they had one of the Scuderi brothers who went on to play in the NHL and I think won a, win a Stanley Cup. Uh, I mean, Jeez, yeah. yeah. Rob, Rob Scuderi probably. Rob and Ken. I just can't remember oh, who, yeah. who, which one was there. But uh, they, they, I know they were there and they played on that team. And there were a couple other – I know there were several guys on that team that went on to play pro. So, I mean, it was stacked. And Adam Pobiak played out of his ever-loving mind that day. I remember it being a battle. I do remember it being a battle. And I and I, I don't remember the score, but in my head it was 4-2. What was the score? Do you remember what the score was? I want to say it was. 4-2. No, it was a one-goal game. 
I want to okay, say. Okay, well, well, I believe it. I think I it, it. I think it was three to two. I think. I believe it. I yep. So I just. I remember it was a battle. It was insane, and and the people in the stands because everybody thought New York's going to walk over these guys, mm-hmm. and yep, the Toledo fans went nuts. I mean, oh, the, Tam O'Shanter was packed. Yeah, it was amazing. The loft it up was, top I mean, was that, like I, I don't know oh, how many yeah. deep. It was nuts. Oh yeah, it was amazing. You know, in getting to play at your home, you know, your home rink, um, and having that many, you know, having that buzz because you know these are the best teams in the country, you know, playing for the title at this level, and um, you know you got people that have traveled from all these other teams, and you've got the locals that are that are following the team and are involved, and you've got the people in the organization, and you've got the regular fans that are coming. I mean, what an electric thing, you know. And that's what I was going to do. You asked about a goal. I remember coming down the left wing side and coming just inside the blue line and turning loose a slap shot and, you know, just trying to get it on net. And I remember it went far side, just inside the post. And I couldn't even see it, you know, cause I had the defenseman between me and the net and I tee one up as we were on the rush to try to create, you know, something off from the, the goaltender. And I just remember the crowd going nuts. And I was like, I bet, I think they would only do that if it goes in. I think I think that went in because I didn't couldn't see it. So I'm like, I, I I don't I don't think they would cheer like that if it didn't go in. I think that went in. So yeah, that when was, your teammates was, come and attack amazing. you. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, no, it was, it was amazing. It was a great environment to play in. Yes, it is, and um, and so, you know, it, I mean, that's why I, I want to you know kind of end that Toledo stuff on on a high note like that. Now, of course, we talked a little bit about your your Springfield experience. It wasn't what you had hoped for. Uh, what? How long was it till you started concentrating on music as a career after that? Um, man, it was it was after I had I had decided, you know, like I so I played in Springfield the one season. I went back for the second season. We had a coaching change um, about I'd say two thirds through. My first season in Springfield, Tony Curtali went off to go coach Windsor Spitfires, and then they brought in an, another guy, and he wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't working just on the level of like, well, he's not playing me, or he's this, or he's that. I mean, the team hated this guy. So in addition, compounded on top of that was the fact that I, my, you know, my personal experience of how I was treated in Springfield I wasn't really eager to go back, I, you know, to do that again. I was hoping to go back and have a little bit more, um, you know, seniority, credibility, street cred, you know, uh, camaraderie, whatever you want to call it. But uh, there was like a hatred there for those guys because of how, I mean, it wasn't just like a hazing where, you know, they pick on you or they, you know, they – you know, they tie your skate laces and they laugh and then it's over and you're part of the team. It was all year long. We were outcast. We were just a completely separate faction of the team. There were the four guys. It was, um, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was not a very, uh, not a very good experience. Um, so I decided that I was going to try to make the best of my remaining year of eligibility and I wanted to go play somewhere else. So I left for home. I asked for a trade. That didn't happen for a long time because they just, you know, how it sometimes happens. There's animosity there, and they kind of jerked me around. And then finally, they traded me to Grand Rapids where Tom Rudrud was coaching, which was, you know, we talked about earlier when he was in Danville. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so I finished off playing in Grand Rapids and then um, decided that was probably going to be the end of it for me. So I actually came home and took a job and uh, was dating a girl and was just kind of planning on settling down. And I just, music was just a total accident. You know, I never had planned on that. I was an athlete my whole life. All I ever wanted to be was a hockey player. And I was staying at my grandfather's house and, and he was a, a multi-instrumentalist. He would play as I was a kid, 10 years old. We'd sit on the, his living room floor and he'd play the Orange Blossom special on a fiddle for us. He played uh, fiddle on a local TV show here called the Green Valley Jamboree. And, um, you know, was a very talented musician, right? Uh, wrote, sang, uh, played. And my grandmother also sang. She was a country singer. And so when I was staying at his house after I came home from playing hockey, one night I just decided I was going to go play with his, his violin. I wanted, I knew he kept it under his bed. And um, so I went and I went and pulled out this violin case. I remember thinking to myself, wow, that's a big violin. And I found this guitar. Nobody, I never even knew he had a guitar. I'd never seen him play it. He'd always played the violin for us. I'd heard he played the keyboard, but... Um, so then I just, I knew a guy in town um, who knew how to play guitar. I had him show me the fingerings, you know, where to put my fingers to make chords. So I started just teaching myself how to play guitar. And then I started making trips to Nashville. And then I decided I was going to move to Nashville. And I had no idea what I was getting into. And uh, essentially went down there to be Garth Brooks. I essentially went down there you know, to run around on stage and shake bottles of water and scream and, and, uh, just be an excitable figure on the stage. And the longer I spent in Nashville and the more that I fell in love with songwriting, the more I wanted to be a songwriter. And the more I learned, the more I realized how much I needed to learn. And so it was just a lot of, you know, uh, just like in hockey. You know, when I was a kid, just a lot of, a lot of time woodshedding out on the ice as a kid, same thing, woodshedding with a guitar in the living room or you know, taking every gig you possibly could and, and, uh, trying to develop as a songwriter. Well, uh, who were your influences, you know, coming up, uh, as a, as a kid, uh, obviously your grandfather's one, but I mean, yeah, about, mu I mean, musically, yeah, musically, well, I was exposed to just because of what was played in the, in the house constantly. It was all old country. It was all <clears throat> uh, Dolly Parton and Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and uh, Merle Haggard and Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn. Um, that was what I, I knew really well off the bat. Waylon Jennings. Um, and then as I, you know, uh, this would have been the, you know, into the nineties, you know, I, guys like Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson and Travis Tritt, and Clint Black and, George Strait and, you know, all of those guys, those were all influences. But, I, you know, I really gravitate towards the more traditional, you know, storyteller country, uh, you know, kind of a traditionalist, you know, type vibe. Um, obviously, the music that is made now that represents country is a lot more produced. So it's finding, you know, the stuff that I make now is finding that happy medium between, you know, overproduction um, and, and the, the simple, the simplicity of, you know, what country music was originally intended for is it's essentially, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mature musical format with, um, articulate storylines and, and concepts with mature singers talking about mature concepts. And now it's, it's evolved to, uh, tailgates and jean shorts and the like. Yeah, so. that's true. 
but uh who do you remember your 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 first gig where people actually paid money to come and see you play yes um it would have been um there there was a, a community center um uh, stage or something i think in allegan it was the first time we ever built a sh- that i can remember that we built a show for kyle jennings that probably would have been in like 2001 maybe and i was singing i think I think I might've played one or two songs on guitar because I could hardly play guitar, but I sang mostly to karaoke tracks. And I think we charged, I don't know, maybe five bucks or something, you know, and it's, it, it would seat maybe 40. It wasn't, it was just a very small community center um, type of situation. But even then, you know, because I was so heavily influenced by Garth Brooks at, at the forefront, I was trying to do the theatrics, like, you know, like, you know, uh, the spotlight and then come in on, come in somewhere where they won't expect it, you know, and trying to, uh, you know, trying to incorporate some of that stuff that I, that I was so crazy about, you know, Garth Brooks for that. Now I've kind of come to hate, you know, not hate, but I'm, I'm like, just stand up there and sing the damn song. You know, if the song's strong enough, you don't need anything else. And so I've changed a little bit in my regard as, as to my approach of what the live engagement should be like. Um, but at the time, yeah, I was, I was wanting to do hang, you know, hang from the ceiling on ropes. We did all that and harnesses and, everything else wow who already then yep well let me ask you this yep how often do you get to play with a full band out versus uh being the uh guy up on stage with his guitar it's mostly that these days um you know, i relocated back, relocated back to michigan last year you know that makes it real difficult to travel with a band so you know and the other thing is too is is you know players in town um, there's, there's two ways about it. It's either very expensive to hold guys because, you know, talent comes at a cost or you have to have a lot of work, um, because guys are aspiring to get rooted somewhere so they can find a home, you know, uh, make good money, you know, kind of work their way up the musician ladder. It, it's funny because there's so many different aspects in the music business of livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the traveling musician. You know, and that and that guy is going to come to town. He's going to play in the honky tonks, and then he's going to take a touring gig if he can get one. And then essentially, at some point, he wants to, to be a session guy where he can stay in town, go to work, play music, and then see his family every night. You know, for an artist, it's you know you want to, uh, you know, you want to, you know, you want your name in lights. You want to build as big of a fan base as you possibly can. You want to build as big of a of a brand as you possibly can have as many hit songs and, and, and get that name as, as big and, and valuable as you possibly can. As a writer, you know, you write every chance you get with everyone who will write with you and you, you play every, you know, writers around in town to try to uh, refine yourself as a performer and, uh, and, and learn the craft from other writers. Um, you know, but there's so many different things going on. People think you just, I'm going to go be a musician, you know, and, and sometimes I've had to waffle myself and go, am I a singer or am I an artist or am I a writer? Which one is my, you know, my prime focus and publishing companies will ask you that a lot. You want to be a writer or do you want to be an artist? You know, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to market you or how they're going to utilize you, you know, within their, um, within their company. Um, you know, so uh, it's a crazy, it's a crazy place. So to answer your question, these days it's not very much because, um, you know, you'll throw a number out for somebody. You know, we'd like to have you in the band. Okay, well, it's X amount. And they go, ooh, 
like, yeah, you're probably going to want to find a local guy. You know, the, the, the band has a second job. They're the weekend warriors, and this isn't what they do for a living. You know, by the time you pay a band to leave Nashville and go eight hours somewhere, um, it, it's not exactly, uh, you know, economical. So, you know, the back end has to be there for the gate or you have tour support or, um, or you've got somebody that's helping you along that's financing your career, which happens for a lot of guys, you know, when they're getting started, you've got investors who are helping you kind of, um, kind of assist you along the way with the expenses to keep guys in the band, kind of keep your, your group together. So, um, I'm sure you've probably got pretty, some pretty crazy stories and stuff, not only from performing, but, uh, some of the videos you've made, I'm sure you've probably had some wonderful <laughs> whacked out, uh, times and stuff doing that. Uh, give me an idea of what that's like when you have to do a video shoot um, and things kind of go a little sideways sometimes. Man, I, we don't, I don't think we've had anything go sideways. Uh, we had a, um, we shot a video for a song called Day Drinking and we didn't have very much money and we didn't know what the hell we were going to do. We just knew that the song was about, you know, day drinking. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. So my folks have this cottage on a lake you know, here in Southwest Michigan and, and they have an association Facebook page, you know, and it's connected to all 600 and however many residents are on there. So I decided, well, we're just going to do a big, we'll just do a big lake throwdown. You know, we've got a sandbar here and, and uh, you know, I, hell, I don't even know. You, there's a lot you can do with cameras, you know? So if you only got 40, then you shuffle these 40 people over in position and you shoot, you know, you shoot this. And if you got, you know, then, then you shuffle the other port, you know, 40, you put them in a pontoon boat and you shut, you shoot that, you know, and, and you can make a lot, you can make a little look like a lot with the cameras, if, you know, uh, if the crew knows what they're doing. Um, you know, but we had, uh, we had posted, we we're going to shoot a video and hell the whole lake showed up, you know, so it made it real easy because we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a script. We essentially just played the song over and over and over and shot a bunch of just B-roll footage of people just having fun in the water and it, it turned out to be a you know a really fun video. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. Now I, I can't remember where I heard it somewhere about talking about when you did Jesus, Jack Daniels, and me. Uh, when you guys jumped in the lake, you and the and the girl that played your your wife in the video. Um, yeah. It, that you guys jumped in, but in reality, it was like a like a pretty pretty chilly day out there on the lake. It was I. It was like October, I would say 18th or so. It was middle to late October. And um, we were going to do the water scene the day before, but it snowed. And we were afraid that the camera, not only, you know, like, is it cold, but I think the camera is going to pick up the snow. We can't do it, you know, because we were trying to reflect, you know, like you say, like a kind of an impromptu, you know, lover's rendezvous in the, in the water in a summer, steamy summer day, you know, kind of thing. And, um, but because of our, I think it was probably budgeting or scheduling or something, you know, the camera crew kept saying, man, we can't do it this week and we're going to have to push it to next weekend. Well, this was in like May oh, and then it just kept, and then I was, and then I'd go out on the road, you know, and I'd be gone or, or whatever, or, you know, and then we, scheduling just kept getting pushed back, kept getting pushed back, kept getting pushed back. And then we got to the point where we we're up against winter, but also if we don't do principal shooting now, by the time we edit on the back end, this song's not going to come out for another six months. You know, so we decided we have to do this next weekend. And it was like 35 degrees out. Oh my so it was, al it was already very cold. And it had started to snow. And we looked at the forecast. And it was going to be like 39 the next day. So we, de we decided we were going to wait for the warm spell. And we were going to do the water scene. 
you know, the next day when it was 39, <laughs> when things warmed up a little bit. And um, yeah, it was colder than hell. You can see, if you really look close, when I'm, when I, uh, the girl's name was Jenny, when I bring Jenny into my arms, I, I say something like, oh my God, that is so cold or, or something like that. Because so here's the funny thing was she jumped in and she handled it like a champ. She was awesome. But in order to get her coming into the water, one of the cameramen had to be in the water to catch her coming off the dock. And he was in that water for probably an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. And it was freezing. I mean, it was just freezing cold. Um, but yeah, that was not that was not the, the funnest time ever. Oh, but it is a fun memory. I mean, it's a great video and stuff, <laughs> but I mean, I just oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. See, that's the kind of sideways things that I'm looking at. Thinking, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty. Well, the funny so so to you know to, to compound things even worse, when we were shooting that video, um, we were at my folks' cottage. That cottage never had been insulated, so you know, in addition to being um, you know, cold to jump in the water. The whole crew had been stationed in this cottage, which we had one kerosene heater that everyone had to camp around because it's not like the, the kerosene heater would have filled the room and warmed it up. I mean, it would knock probably five or 10 degrees off, but it's still just colder than yep. you can all get out. You know, so I remember uh, John, the, the, the director, he ended up sleeping in his car, you know, with his car running because it was so cold and um, and there was limited space around the kerosene heater. So everyone kind of took a spot and he goes, I'm just going to sleep in the car. I go, no, you're fine. Sleep in here. And he goes, no, I'm going to be great in there. And he did. He slept in his car. <laughs> Probably a whole lot more comfortable and warm. Oh man. It was, I'm sure it was. That's nuts. Now, um, when, I mean, how often do you get to, I mean, obviously the pandemic played a huge part in, uh, your mm. ability to get out and tour and go out and play places, but, that it crushed, aside, crushed the music. Yeah, true, very much so. But prior to that, and since then, um, how often do you get to play out? Oh, I play. Every, I'm playing every week. Um, I'm playing um, at least Friday, Saturday, Sunday every weekend, and sometimes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now it's it's uh, summertime for an independent artist like me. You know, your um, your your busy season essentially starts you know right around Memorial Day. It's when summer officially opens up everyone's doing outdoor venues they want to have house parties they want to have um barn parties you know and they're looking for entertainment and then all the outdoor venues everyone who wants music on the dock or, or music on the deck or music on the you know wherever it is that they hold music so there's all kinds of festivals and there's all kinds of you know fairs and festivals and and um, you know outdoor concerts and there's tons of work you know um once labor day hits you start getting in the mid to late september october it's a little chill in the wind you know, starts coming. That's when guys like me start getting slower because you don't have, if you're not with a major booking agency, you don't get the, the casinos, you don't get the, you know, the, the big rooms, you get, you know, what's left over. And a lot of those, uh, a lot of those venues close up, you know, our seasonal. So um, right now I'm in the middle of a busy season for me. So I'm, I'm playing and, and working every weekend. Um, and I do a, I do a lot of private event stuff. So um you know, uh, split between corporate events, you know, uh, for whether it's a you know national convention or just a, uh, a, you know, like a corporate meeting somewhere, um, or just a private event, you know, somebody has a, a small party at their house or something they want entertainment for. So a lot of it's that, um, but it'll, it'll get started getting a little bit slower, you know, in, in the fall and the late winter. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, man, it seems like we only started 10 minutes ago. We're, I know. I, I Yeah. We're an hour, I'm great, man. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, we're an hour and a half in. Holy cow. That's great. It's It's been fun. <laughs> it has been fun. It has been great, for sure. Uh, well, let me ask you. I want to ask you a couple more questions before we go. And this yeah. one's kind of on the on the on the bittersweet side, but I wanted to ask you about the impact left by your dad. Oh man, we don't have enough time for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I was just such a lucky guy. You know, to get to mentor under somebody like that. You know, and when you're a kid. You know, it takes growing up a little bit to really understand the gravity and the weight and appreciate, you know, what you had. Um, but he was always just encouraged me to, to to do what I wanted to do, to follow my dreams, to do the work, you know, to be a good human being. Um, you know, he uh, instilled into all of us. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories about my dad um that i think just represents who he was as a person i i got to open for hank williams jr at a local fair here it was a really big deal you know i was kind of on my upswing locally of, of kind of making a name for myself and the allegan county fair is is uh you know the most notable i think uh one of the most notable live events here you know that happens every year when you're playing the allegan county fair it's a big deal and you know obviously hank jr is a big deal so um we had gotten slotted to be the opening act for Hank Jr. So here we go. They announce, you know, please welcome to the stage, you know, Nashville, you know, local guy, done good, Kyle Jennings. And we come out, the band starts, we start playing. And somebody had gone up to him and they had shared me, uh, shared the story with me later. And here I am running around in my wife beater, you know, with my shades on, you know, singing my songs in front of, you know, a full elegant crowd because Hank Jr. was a huge draw, you know, so there was thousands of people there and, and the guy was standing next to my dad talking to him. And he said, man, you must be proud. And without skipping a beat, my dad just kind of turns and looks at him and said, of all my kids. Wow. And that's just who he was. You know, that's just who he was. He, he never, nothing was lost in the context of, of, of the moment, you know, like mm-hmm. I was, I had a moment where I had a little flash in the pan and, you know, my name was, uh, next to some other big guys and it didn't matter, you know, and, and, and rest assured, my family treats me like that too. I still do the dishes, you know, at Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, to ask a question like that, like you, the impact is um, you know, we were really close to, which made things good, but more difficult to deal with his passing just because it wasn't like a, you know, you, you got some of these friends who are, well, my dad and I get along, but we're so, we were buddies. I mean, we were tight. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to him at least once a day when I was in Nashville, I spent 17 years in Nashville. Um, I don't think there was probably, you know, more than a handful of days where I didn't talk to him. Yeah. You know, I talked to him every day and sometimes multiple times a day about nothing, you know, but it was just, uh, it was just your person, you know, and, um, he was just a special guy. You know, he, he was a hardworking guy, uh, very uh, sacrificial. He served and, and lived to serve our family. And uh, he left behind an amazing legacy that I hope I can, you know, carry on in, in some small way. Um, but the, the impact that he had on me, um, to, say, to say profound, would be a massive understatement. Yeah, that's, I understand that. 
And the reason I ask that is because I understand that. I understand the pain of the loss because I did that with, I always, my dad and I, we had a very interesting relationship. And, and the one thing we learned with each other is that it's not how you start, but how you finished. And we, mm, we, yeah. and we finished. Absolutely. Strong. You know, we, I know a lot of relationships like that. And I know, I know a good bit of father son relationships like that, that have been repaired over time and have been, have become to be fantastic. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, I mean, uh, when uh, I, I never called him dad or daddy or papa or any of that stuff. Uh, he was the old man. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I just called him the old man. Oh, yeah. Hey old man. And you know, he, he, you know, he, he understood that and we were great. And uh, like I said, at the end, we really, we really tightened it up and, and, and finished really well. Uh, but again, uh, that was probably the one thing he left me more than anything. And that is, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, because that's how I was able to grow up, even as an older guy, how I was able to grow up and realize, okay, how can I, as you talked about earlier, what can I do to humble myself and to learn and, and to be able to, you know, improve myself, you know, that kind yep. of thing. And he taught me that. He, he taught me that. And, and I, to this day, I still use that, 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 that guy. Yep. Well, I think one of the things that comes to mind, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking here is we're, as we're talking, you know, I mentioned when I was playing hockey, you know, I, I had a little bit of an attitude. Some of that's good because, it, you know, the confidence helps you, um, it helps you perform. You know, if you're, if you doubt yourself, there's nothing, there's nothing more powerful and more, and more dangerous than overconfidence, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, all in the same, all in the same thing. But, you know, looking back as I, as I made the mistakes of a young man growing up, he gave me so much grace. You know, he, he never condemned me for this dumb things that I did. He let me make mistakes. He knew better mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he just, uh, he loved me and he just let me make my mistakes and he loved me. And, um, you know, that's the that's one of the things that kind of when I when I pontificate on those moments where I probably was less than um, you know something to be proud of, he still just just with grace just was very proud and, and understood what the process was, and that there was a there was a purpose behind the process. Mm -hmm. And it ended up shaping you into the best Kyle you know how to be. That's how you, without question. That's how you everything that I've got that's good. Yep. Yep. I have to I have to agree with you there, you partner. It. Okay. So um what I'll, I'll I got two more things. Uh and that is this. Here, Great. Here's one. What would the I always ask these at the end, what would the Kyle Jennings of today, what advice would you give that cocky, confident, uh headstrong kid that played in Toledo back in 96, 97, what advice would you give him? Serve your teammates, you know, live to serve your teammates and just try to get better every day. Just, just if it's a, uh, you know, puck handling, if it's uh, you know, whatever it is that you're working on at the time, just try to get better every single day and, and do, and serve your teammates in the best way you possibly can. Because if everybody does that, I've learned that from the coaching side, I learned more from the coaching side than I ever learned as a player. I would encourage anyone, if you want to learn how to be a 
whatever it is, then teach somebody. Because what you have to do is you have to break it all down for yourself so that you know the aspects and the, and the intricacies of how to coach and teach someone else how to do it. <clears throat> Once I started doing that, I realized how much of an ignorant hockey player I really was. So I would, I would tell me to just do the best you can at learning every day and serve your teammates in the best manner that you possibly can. And if, all, and if a team does that, that's when you have Miracle on Ice. When you get a team of guys that after the bag skate screams, you know, screams out, Mike Ruzioni, I play for Team USA, then you have a hockey team. But until then, um, you know, just like Herb said, you got a bunch of individuals. Well, uh, I guess as a follow-up, uh, part B to this question is, do you ever see yourself ever wanting to go back into coaching? Yep. Oh, what yeah. age level? Um, you know, I get the most joy out of, um, out of young men, you know, midget, Bantam, even maybe Pee Wee. I like those formative years of going from a boy to some of the more social aspects of what being a hockey player and being part of a hockey team and being a, a growing young man in a community are about. I like dealing with the kids in, in that regard and, and how they're handling, you know, girls for the first time and how they're dealing with their family situations and how they're doing in school and that formative type of those, those more formative type of things. So I like, you know, I prefer the uh, early to mid to late teens. Um, I've coached, you know, mites and squirts and peewees and um, the peewee kids are, um, they're great. I love peewees. I don't get as much personally out of the younger, you know, the younger age groups as I do uh, some of the more, uh, you know, formative adolescent, you know, type years. Okay. And uh, the last thing, uh, it could go for both the music side and the hockey side. What would you like to say to the folks that listen on the podcast? Uh, you know, obviously you're going to have music fans listening. You're going to have Cherokee nation uh there's there's a whole there's, it runs the whole gamut and so uh the floor is yours oh man just just wide open like that yeah boy i don't know you know um i i really don't have a direction to go in that i i loved playing hockey and i loved playing hockey in toledo that was one of the most um one of the greatest experiences of, of that time in my life. And, you know, music has been a journey that has shaped, you know, continued to shape my character and my work ethic and, you know, just who I am as a, as a, as an individual. So, um, you know, on a personal level, um, you know, it, it's been a, it's been, you know, quite a ride. I've gotten to, you know, the nice thing about music is I've, I've gotten to travel and see some things. I otherwise probably never would, you know, would have, have enjoyed. I've, you know, traveled to, uh, you know, Key West, you know, every quarter, you know, for a couple of years to play, a, a you know, gigs down there. And, and I've played in, you know, uh, New York and I've played in, um, you know, Washington State and California and, you know, pretty much everywhere in between. So, you know, music's afforded me a lot of opportunities to travel and see things. But, um, you know, and, and I get people ask me all the time. They still say, you know, uh, what's, you know, what's in your heart, hockey or music more? And uh, I mean... You know, at this point in my life, I've done music longer than I did hockey, which is hard to believe. <laughs> but, 
um it's it's still you know they're just different animals you know you, there's still nothing like skate you know jumping on the ice on a fresh sheet of ice and feeling that cold wind against your face and you know there's nothing like um being on stage in the lights and uh with just you and the guitar and and telling a story so I, you know you, you kind of get to tap into you know both sides of the brain there on the athleticism side on one side and the artistic side on the other uh, so i've been blessed to be able to get to do a little bit of both well you know and the funny thing is is that they kind of both are the same really the same animal <clears throat> as far as it's a it's it's a lifetime passion it's something that, that, sure. that you develop and you grow and the love inside of you grows for both as you get older oh yeah well, and, and the one thing I'll say about music is, you know, I've never been concussed playing the guitar, so you can really do this forever. Not yet. You know, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. Check in with me next week. That's one good bar um, all away, but yeah. <laughs> that's right. I've seen plenty of those. I've seen plenty of those. But no, yeah, I mean, I, I love, you know, I love the game. I, I love everything about the game. And, uh, you know, I love coaching the game. I love being on the ice. And, I, and I've country music has been a part of me forever. You know, even when I was playing hockey, I, I just didn't even know that that was something, a path that I was going to pursue, but it's definitely, like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's in the, the fabric of my soul. It's in, it's in, it's, it's in part of what, what makes me who I am. So um, I'm, I guess I'm fortunate in one regard because I was a, a pretty committed, passionate hockey player and I got to transition that into something else. You know, a lot of guys, when they quit playing, they have to just set that up on a, on the nails, you know, with the skates and, um, and they just kind of move on. I was able to transition that into something else that, um, you know, allowed that passion to, to, to flourish. So passionate and committed. That was a great thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. So about music. And then of course there's guys like me who, well, we're passionate, but we usually are ending up getting committed. Uh, anyhow, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, yeah. We'll leave that one alone for a while. Anyhow. Uh, but Kyle, man. This has been fun. Uh, oh, it's been a pleasure. It has really. I, I appreciate you having I, me. Hey, pleasure's all mine, my friend. Uh, so, you know, that's going to do it here for episode 86 of the Cherokee One. Big thanks to Kyle Jennings. Don't forget, if you go on uh, wherever you digest your musical uh, tastes, uh, be sure to check his new album out, Old Fashioned. You can get it wherever downloads are as far as ordering. So uh, you can also, Kyle Jennings, it was at kylejennings.music.com. Is your website? Uh, Kyle, yep, yep. KyleJenningsMusic.com is the website. Yep. And then, you know, all the socials, Instagram and Facebook and all that crazy stuff. Yep, all that stuff. So be sure to check all of that out so you can see some of his stuff past and present. And then that way, if you want to go check him out where he's playing at a, at a place near you, hey, by all means, well worth checking out. So for Kyle, I am Mick saying thanks so much for hanging out with us as, uh, Hey, we'll catch you next time right here on the Cherokee Rewind.